So we're going to go ahead and, and talk about money for a little while. Uh, I prepared the sermon. We may as well do some of it. And I've been, I've been conflicted about this for a very long time, uh, for, for as long as I've been in ministry, which has been 30 years at this point. Is that, is that? No, 20 years at this point. I'm not that old. And money has always been an issue with me. I don't, I don't know how to handle money as a, as a pastor and as a missionary, and, and even as an author, I didn't, I didn't know how to handle money. Um, not, not, not meaning financial savvy, but just the concept of money and what it means to talk about money in front of the church. And they tell church planners that you have to preach about money in your first six months or you will not survive. That's some of the advice that, that church planning books give pastors is that you have to encourage people to give because the, the, the reality is that the church is partially a business. And if you don't have the funds to run the business, then you can't run the business. And so even though our business is spiritual, there is a business side to it. And I've just put it off and put it off and put it off. And, and I, I want to share with you four reasons I've put it off. I was talking to Joseph Bond this week about he's, he's preaching for me in a couple weeks and how conflicted he is about preaching because he wants to question his motive all the time. And so my, my first reason that I'm conflicted about talking about money is, is the issue of motive. And so he's, he's worried that what he wants to say is what he wants to say and not necessarily what God wants to say and that maybe he has some hidden agenda underneath it. And, and that's, just, that's just preaching. And I, I told him, if you, don't, if you don't deal with that week in, week out, then I don't want you in my pulpit. If you don't have issues with questioning your own motives and your own heart and your own selfishness, you have no business being in a pulpit. And, but when it comes to, to money, there's, there's a whole... So if I talk about fasting in front of you guys, my heart can be that I want you to connect with God, and I think fasting is a, is a good way to do that. When I talk about money, there is always going to be a deeper, darker sense of motive underneath it for a pastor and specifically for a church planter because my financial life, my family, and putting food on our table relies on it. There's, there's no question that motive actually is a factor. And, and it's, not, it's not just the salary. It, it's, there's some self-actualization to it because the more money we get, the more powerful we can become, the more we can do, the more people we can hire, the better facilities we can get, the more fog we can get rolling off the stage. There's, you know, all kinds of things you can do as you grow a church if you have money. And there is, there is part of me that my whole identity is wrapped up in the success of this thing. And so I, I just want to be honest and open with you that I have that stuff going on. And then there's the question of motive about talking about motive. Maybe I'm just talking about motive to manipulate you guys so you'll trust me and think I'm a pretty good guy. And maybe I just said that to do the exact same thing. <laughs> motive gets really dicey. And so when it comes to teaching about money as a pastor, you have to just get past it. I also recognize that uh, there will be non-Christians here today, and just recognize that I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who want to commit their lives to Jesus and want to honor Him with everything, including their finances. And so just listen in and see how Christians might think about money, but don't worry about it yourself. Um, we're also going to have guests here. If this is your first time here and the pastor's talking about money, you're thinking, oh, that's a church that always talks about money. Just know that's not the case, but know it's something important we need to talk about. And then there's the confliction between what kind of church you want to be. Do you want to be a small church forever, uh, which can be intimate and family. It makes community pretty easy. Or do you want to grow into a mega church or something in between? And I'm a believer in church growth. I think if you don't have growth as one of your goals, what you're saying is to a good part of the community, you're not welcome here. Because if you're a welcoming church, you have to grow. You have to be open to growth in order to be welcoming. And I think if Christianity is anything, it's supposed to be welcoming. 
But with all that said, I was still conflicted about how to talk to you guys about it. And so here's how, how I've decided to do it. I, I, most of you are familiar with my three kids at this point. This is Siler, who's seven, and Elena, who's two, and Judson, who's approaching three months, and my lovely wife, and a super handsome guy behind her. Here's how I've decided to do it. See, one of the, one of the benefits of preaching in, in, week in, week out, and especially keeping a video archive is, if I die next week, my kids get an archive of stuff that I thought was important. So that's a pretty cool benefit of being a pastor, uh, especially a pastor that keeps video archives, is if, if my son wants to go back and find out how I feel about the LGBT community or how I feel about fasting or how I feel about money, he can go watch my sermons and learn from me long after I'm gone. And so how I've decided to handle today is I'm going to talk to you about stuff that I would tell my kids about cash. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to you as if you were my three kids sitting down saying, Dad, what are, your, what are the principles of money? And here's, here's, here's a bunch of reasons why that's so important. Number one is because money does illustrate your priorities in a good sense. I would tell my kids this. You can tell a lot about a person based on what they do with material stuff. Billy Graham said, if you give me five minutes with somebody's checkbook, I can tell you a lot about their heart. And you can. It's just the reality that you can tell a lot about what's inside a person based on what they do with their cash. There's a certain sense of freedom that comes with properly handling money and properly viewing money. Dave Ramsey says that if you live like no one else, then you can actually one day live like no one else. It means if you'll make the sacrifices now, if you'll work hard now with your cash, if you'll have certain attitudes now about your cash, then later on, your life is going to be completely different than the ones who didn't have those attitudes and those habits. So if you'll set good habits and good ideas now, it will revolutionize the freedom that you have later. And living paycheck to paycheck is absolutely no way to live life. It's just no, it's no fun to live under that kind of pressure. And so I think some of the principles that we're going to talk about will free people. Uh, you know, there's, there's generosity. Corey Ten Boom talked about how the, uh, the measure of your life is not its duration, but its donation. And if there's, if there's a single word in, in, in Christianity that I think describes the heart of God, it might be generosity. You know, the most famous scripture of all time, God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave everything. He is a generous, generous God. And there is a lot of freedom that comes with a heart that's filled with generosity. That's real living. That's just good living is to be a person who is just deeply, inherently generous. And, and generosity shows up in the way you spend your cash. Martin Luther King said, um, pray and let God worry. One of the reasons that, that we need to deal with money and how we handle money is because we need to be people that learn how to trust. And there's, there's nothing that will build trust like giving everything away. There's nothing that will build trust like giving more than you think you could possibly give. And again, I'm not talking about giving to daylight today. I, 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 I hope, hope that will be clear. I'm not talking about supporting the church today. Um, but when you are a person who will give all, you, you're out there and vulnerable at that point. When you say everything I have is yours, it, it, it's hard to be more vulnerable than that. So it teaches us to trust God. And then finally, as this David Livingstone quote uh, tells us, is investment is important. And you're going to invest in something in your life. And you're going to invest your money in something in your life. It's going to go somewhere. And the question is where? What are your priorities? And where are you going to put that? Because you have power. When you have money, you have power. And when you have power, that power can be invested in what's important to you. So as David Livingstone said, he said, I'll place no value on anything I possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. 
And so when you have money, you have power to make God look good. You have power to reach into communities where there is violence and anger and make a difference. There's all kinds of things that money can accomplish. Now, it can't fix everything, but it is a part. And so investment is a, is a big reason. Now, I'm going to get uncomfortably transparent with you guys because today I'm preaching to my kids. I, 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 I talked to my buddy Chris Duke the other day about his opinion on me doing this, and he, he gave me the go-ahead, so if you guys are uncomfortable, it's his fault. Um, <laughs> I, I want to I talk to you about our financial situation and a little bit about the journey that we've gone on. And it's going to be more transparent than most of you would ever be with your money with other people. And some of it is going to sound like I'm bragging. But I would love to sit my kids down and say, if you will manage your money right, if you will make good decisions, if you will do this, if you will do that, if you will have this particular attitude, here's what it can look like. And so I'm going to tell you guys about where we're at. I'm 42 years old. My wife is 38, 36, 30-ish. 30, 29. Um, and, and the reality is we've never made big money. I, I graduated with a degree in engineering physics. And even, even when I graduated in 1996, uh, if I had gone into physics, I probably could have started with a pretty sizable income, maybe flirting with six figures, even back then. It, you know, it's just a field where you make a lot of money if you get a job in it. And I decided that I was going to go into campus ministry instead. And I remember my first check was $388 for two weeks of work. And for approximately six years, that was my check. I, I, they did offer me housing in the little men's house that the campus ministry had. Um, I did work other jobs. I, I worked at a, an alert alarm security system in Paducah, Kentucky. And I would monitor security alarms. I worked at the Gap for a while. I, th there's all kinds of stuff that I did to make extra cash on the side. But my salary was $388 every two weeks, and that did not include health insurance. And so I, I was not living large, living you know, high on the hog by any stretch. Um, now, when I married my wife, she had a pretty good job for a while. We would still be, even with our cumulative incomes, we would be about uh, the median of American salaries or probably a little bit less. I think, I think the most I ever received as a salary was maybe $2,200 every two weeks. Uh, and that was up to three years ago when we came here to, to plant the church. When we came to plant the church, we took probably a 40 to 50% pay cut. I, uh, I am paid in the bottom 10% of salaries of pastors in the Louisville area. I'm not saying that to complain. I love my salary, and, and you'll see in just a moment why I'm not freaked out about that. Uh, in fact, I, I, I see myself always making something in the lower per percentage. Um, now, I say all that to say, none of that's a big deal. If you have good financial savvy, you good, make good decisions, good stuff happens. I cannot remember the last time I made a car payment. Now, I've never made big money, but I literally couldn't possibly tell you when was the last time I made a car payment. It might have been four or five vehicles back. Now, I, did, I was an idiot in college. I did take out a student loan to buy a convertible while I was in college. If you've ever heard if, if, the dumbest financial decision everyone, anyone ever made. So I was an idiot back then on, when it comes to money. But we've learned, and we've learned how to manage our finances, even the smaller amount that has come in. Uh, I, I, list, I tried to list all the countries that I've been to and all the places I've been, having very little income. I've been to Scotland and Ireland and London and France and Cambodia and Thailand and Puerto Rico and Bermuda and even Delaware, like you see up on the screen. I, I have been blessed to go all over the world, regardless of whether we've made big money 
or not. I've backpacked through Thailand and Cambodia. I, it's just been phenomenal, the experience I've had. I watched the St. Patrick's Day parade in Dublin, Ireland on St. Patrick's Day. I've taken helicopter rides over the Grand Canyon. I've, I've swam in, and remember, I'm telling my kids this, so chill. I have swam in one of the only two locations on the planet that has phosphorescent algae in the water so that when you run your hands through the water, it bursts into light. I've seen the world. It's been unbelievable what I've been able to do on just a little bit of money. I've owned homes, multiple homes, multiple rental properties. I've flipped houses. We currently own a rental property in Murray, Kentucky that has six units in it and it's completely paid off. It's just a cash cow that brings in cash now. So every month this money comes in from our rental property. And all this has been accomplished on, on a little salary. We've given away a ton. Again, I'm talking to my kids. I want to instill in them what you can do. Uh, you know, I, I, I figure since we've been married, and before that I did, but I know since we've been married, we have always given away somewhere between 15 and 20% of our income right off the top. Uh, no matter what comes in, where it comes from, we just believe 15 to 20%. So we give 10% to our church, or in, in, I, have, I have different ministerial needs at this point where I give, but we've always given 10% to our church and then another 5 to 10% to missionaries all over the world. And so if you add that up over the 20 years that we've been giving, it turns into a ridiculous sum of money of, for, from people that have not made a ton but we've been able to give. And we've also been able to invest. We, we have a substantial amount in investment and savings right now to the point where I look at our Hilliard Lions account and I go, how is that even possible? It's kind of ridiculous. Um, actually, did I, did I skip one? I did. Um, we, can, we can, without fear, pay for an HVAC. And so uh, two weeks ago, our, our air conditioner stopped working at our home. And uh, it, it's kind of a big deal, you know, and, and the, the HVAC system was maybe 14 years old and it needed this and that. And we, we ended up having to have an entire new HVAC, heat, air, everything installed. And it was $6,000. And we were able to just say, okay, and write a check and just pull the cash out because the cash is sitting there, because we've been diligent, because we've been careful, because we've been, in my opinion, because we've been generous. And so we don't panic when stuff sets in. And we, we, really, we, I could lose my job today and we'd be fine for another year or more, a couple of years. That's, that's how good it's been. And our money is now making money. So we're not paying other people to use their money. Other people are paying us to use our money. And so you can see why, as a, as a father, you can see why, first off, it's uncomfortable for me to share all this with you. I'm, I'm like, hey, we're just so financially savvy, and I got to go to Paris. That's not, that's not my heart at all. And I, I get why. It would bother me if I was in your shoes right now. But I want to paint a picture for you of what's possible. I want to paint a picture for you that if you'll make good decisions and have certain attitudes, God is good, and God takes care of you, and his principles really work. And so I'm running out of time. I'm going to get as far as I can today, and then we've got a couple more weeks talking about this. But my first encouragement to you is to backpack through life. I was with my brother probably 15 years ago, and we were going backpacking, backpacking in the mountains of Arizona, and we had driven all the way from Colorado, um, and we're tired when we got there. But 11 months prior to that, I had blown my, my, one of my knees out. I don't remember which one it was. It was my right knee. I was playing volleyball. I went up. I hit a ball. When I landed, my knee popped out like that. 
and it was agonizing and awful, and I had ACL reconstructive surgery and pins put in my knee and, and cartilage treatments and, and all kinds of stuff. And for 60 days, I was on, on uh, crutches. I was not allowed to put any weight on it at post-surgery. But then for four months, I was allowed to walk on it, but only delicately. I wasn't allowed to pivot. I wasn't allowed to jump. I, wasn't, I was supposed to be very, very careful going up and down stairs. And the weekend we left to go backpacking, that Thursday, my doctor freed me up to do whatever I wanted to do. He said, he said go do whatever you want to do now. You're, you're good. Your knee is, is solid. But my knee had atrophied to the point where, I mean, it was, my, knees are, my legs are already like this big, but they were like this big at that point. My right leg had just atrophied and was weak. And so we started hiking into these mountains, and these are the uh, pictures of the Arizona mountains. And we started in terrain like this. But we ended up climbing mountains like the, some of the ones you see in the background. And we went straight up those things. And I'll, I'll show you what was happening. I, my, the, the guys I was with were, were smokers and would, would go ahead of me really far and sit there and smoke until I finally caught up. And, but my right leg literally was, was doing that as I was climbing. It was just spazzing and freaking out. And... We got, we got, we went up the mountain and down the mountain, and I just the whole time was just, it was just agonizing. And we got to our camp, and we set up the tents, and I think we had brought macaroni and cheese and a can of tuna and an apple. And we cooked up that mac and cheese with a little pocket rocket and put the tuna in and had some salt and pepper. And I remember sitting in those mountains, looking at the mountains and watching the sunset, and climbing in the tent and sleeping outside for the first time I can remember ever doing it, waking up the next morning, and I think we had brought some oatmeal and we heated that up. And I remember sitting on a rock and just feeling sublimely joyful. I, I remember, even, even though it had been hard, even though all we had to eat was mac and cheese and tuna, I just remember looking at those mountains, and again, we watched the sunset at night, we watched the sunrise the next morning, just feeling like this is what life is supposed to look like. Like, this is it. This is, this is real living. This, and something changed in me that, that weekend, uh, because I realized, it, and it really did speak to me, I had an epiphany that weekend about how much I really need in life, and it ain't much. I, I realized all I had was a little thin camp mat and some fabric to go over me and some mac and cheese, and it was one of the happiest moments of my life. And I, I say that because I would tell my kids that story, and I would say to, to them, you've got to realize you don't need as much as you think you need. To, to really experience the joys of life, to really experience what is supremely important doesn't require a great deal of spending. And when you, when you realize that, Jesus, Jesus talked about um, worrying, and, and, and I'll paraphrase, but he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, and don't worry about what you're going to drink, and don't worry about what you're going to wear. And he, he talks about a good, good father that knows what your needs even before you, before you ask of him. Uh, in, an, in another part of Scripture, he talks about the sparrows and how the sparrows, they don't work, they don't strive, they don't try, and yet they're, they're well-fed. And he talks about the, the flowers of the field and how, how they, don't, they don't have to do anything. And God makes them more beautiful than he made Solomon, the richest man on earth. In all his robes and all his splendor, the flowers still look better. And so when you have this attitude about money, 
and you have this attitude about material things that says, you know what, I really don't need a ton. It is freeing. It is absolutely freeing to arrive at that point. And so I would advise my kids to be open-handed with their money. You know, there's ways you can hold your money. And one way is to hold it out here and say, okay, God, it's, it's your money. It's your stuff. My house is yours. My car is yours. You know, we'll talk about tithing in one of the weeks coming up. And should we give 10%? And, and I think the New Testament teaches says 100%. You just take 100% of your stuff and you say, God, this is all yours. And I'm just going to trust you with, with what happens with it. And, and some of it he's going to say spend on yourself, and some of it he's going to say take care of your family, and some of it he's going to say invest in retirement, and some of it he's going to say give it away and do something extravagant and ridiculous. But it's just having that open hand. And now you can have, you can have this idea with your money, and Jesus, Jesus tells a parable about that. He tells, talks about a rich man that had all kinds of money and all kinds of grain coming in. When grain was commerce, he had boatloads of it, and so much that his barns and his silos were full. And the rich man says, I'm going to go build some bigger ones. I've got too much. It's overflowing my silos. So what I really need is bigger silos. And Jesus tells this parable, and God says to the man, he says, you fool. Tonight, your soul is required. And where will all your stuff go? That's kind of the story. Now, I believe in a good, good father that isn't necessarily saying to the man, you fool, I will take you down to hell. He's saying, dummy. You fool. You, you, you stored up all this stuff for you, and you couldn't even use it all. That's just dumb. Give some of it away. I saw this quote this, this week. It says, if you're easy about money, money comes easy. And I'm a believer in that, and that's a principle I will teach my kids. If you can hold your money out here that says, all I really need is a camp mat and some fabric and some mac and cheese, and I'll be just fine, and so you can hold your money out here and say, this isn't my God. This isn't what controls me. This isn't what owns my decisions. This won't make or break me. Then I'm a believer that God just says, okay, you're the kind of person that I want to give a little bit more to. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a believer that when you are free with your money, God becomes freely generous with you. There's a proverb that says, one gives freely that grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. This week, uh, who, who was I having lunch with that somebody from Fulton, Kentucky kept calling me? Somebody in here. Anyway, I kept getting phone calls that, from an unidentified number in Fulton, Kentucky. And I assumed it was a telemarketer, so I kept not answering. If I don't recognize your number, I won't answer it. I'll just let it go to voicemail. But they weren't leaving a voicemail. And they were calling me probably 15 times a day. And so finally, I picked up the phone on like day three. I said, what? <laughs> and uh, they said, is this Herman Hussman? And nobody calls me Herman except telemarketers. And uh, is this Herman Hussman? I said, yes. And she said, how are you today? Fine. She said, well, I'm calling with the Special Olympics. And you've been very generous with us in the past. And I thought, oh, I'm such a jerk. And so she gave her spiel and gave us three tears. And again, talking to my kids, at the end of the conversation, I gave her twice the top tier. I just said, you know, what, what if I wanted to write you a check for this? And she was like, oh, oh, God bless you. You know, just like, you know, I guess making her day. And 
I want my kids to understand that when people ask, you should say yes. It, it doesn't mean you'll always be in a place to give really generously. It, it, you know, Jesus said if you have, uh, John the Baptist said if you have two coats, you should give one away to the poor. Jesus, Jesus said a, lo- a whole lot of very similar things. Um, he, he pared things down to, to a lot of simplicity. And simplicity and freedom and holding your money out like this allows you to win Special Olympics calls and says, we'd like you to give, you get to say, absolutely, and, and big time, I'm going to give. And you know what? I'm not afraid of that money. I'm not, I'm not afraid of where that money goes. I'm super excited to give it, and we'll be able to give a lot more. Um, and I want my kids to learn those principles of when people say, please, you say yes. And the way to do that is starting with backpacking through life and realizing you don't need near as much as you think you need, and two is holding your money like this.